Hello everyone, Brian here from Franchise Radio Show. Lovely to have you here again. And uh, today I've got a, a particularly interesting guest that uh, I've pursued for some little while, probably one of the most highly qualified in many respects of the people I've spoken to, particularly in his sector of hospitality. Um, so today I'm I'm talking uh, to, uh, to Wes Lambert. Wes has a background um, in hospitality, as I mentioned, and it goes back a long time. And his experience is very broad. He was the former CEO of the 2020 Association of the Year Restaurant and Catering Australia. There's a mouthful for you. Industry Association. But that, that association represented more than 55,000 restaurants, cafes and catering business across the country and was a winner of the 2020 Influence Award. Um, Wes is the author of a book, Saving Hospitality, One Venue at a Time. And he was also mentioned one of Australia's most influential hospitality heavy hitters. He's appeared on television and radio programs too numerous to mention, uh, many, many of them, everyone you can imagine. Um, and he's a regular uh, guest appearing at various conventions, events and podcasts and so forth. Uh, he's, um, he, he's also interested in, in the community and as much as chair of the Audit and Risk Committee of the Children's Tumor Foundation. So good on you for that, Wes. Um, he was executive director and secretary and financial controller for Pacific Restaurant Group. If you've not heard of them, quite formidable. They operated Kingsley's, Chop House and Jamie's Italian, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So it was Australia's first public unlisted full service restaurant group. And he was responsible for restructuring it and organising the IPO and getting master franchise agreements organised for Jamie's Italian Australia wide. So he has a background prior to that as an investment banker um, in the US as well as across Asia and Australia. He possesses a very strong work ethic, I'm told, has a can do attitude. And what I love is, <laughs> from his point of view, he has an ability to make anything possible. No, and I can't, are not in his vocabulary. Wes, welcome to our radio show today Insider Secrets to Hospitality Post COVID. Uh, I don't think I could have a better qualified person to talk, and I don't think our listeners in the hospitality area, whether in it or contemplating it, could have a better person to counsel or advise them with regards to the industry moving forward. So um, welcome to you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Brian. It feels like uh, you just rolled out the red, red, long red carpet for, uh, <laughs> for that introduction, so thank you. And that's a pleasure, and we do, and you warrant it. So let's get straight into it. Um, you know, you've got a very broad background, so I'm sure there's lots that people should have their notebook out making notes of for the future. And uh, we'll, we will give a, a, a contact uh, details, perhaps where people can contact you afterwards if you're happy to do that. But the first one really, I think, was, you know, how did you get into hospitality? Did, was yours a sort of traditional journey? And what was the, the story? Brian, it was, uh, it was semi-traditional. But for when I was 14 years old, I really wanted to get my first job to help out my family. So I faked an ID at 14 to work in a fast food restaurant called Wendy's in Texas. And uh, yeah, I was quite industrious in, uh, in doing that and actually was making hamburgers uh, in that business. So my uh, entry into the hospitality industry the job was traditional, but the entry was not. And uh, then I waited tables uh, in high school and a bit in university. 
uh, before going on to the, the many things that you've mentioned in my background. Well, fantastic. Well, congratulations on the initiative. And for those of you who don't know, Wendy's, there was a chain here in the ice cream industry called Wendy's, no relation. And Wendy's in the US are a very large hamburger group, similar at times to, I suppose, many respects to McDonald's and and, and the others that we know. So uh, excellent. Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. So we know, number one, uh, with, with regards to Wes, he's got a bit of initiative. So <laughs> he knows how to get his, his foot in the door, as it were. So what do you see from your excellent viewpoint and with your background, Wes, as being the state of the hospitality industry as we look at it now, today? Well, you know, it's it certainly has had its challenges through the pandemic, which for all practical purposes is over, uh, is, at least in Australia. Um, it is it has come back. It has come roaring back. Now, it's facing many challenges, and we'll certainly touch on those uh, a bit later. But from a revenue point of view, uh, it was doing about $4 billion a month on average pre-COVID. Now it's doing on average about $5 billion a month throughout Australia, which is a significant increase. Uh, and it looks like it's just getting stronger and stronger. And many of your listeners will say, oh, well, that's not true. You know, I see my local cafe has less people in it. It depends on where you are. And also, you should take a look at menu prices. So while the CBDs are not necessarily as busy as they were due to the lack of office workers on Mondays and Fridays, and certainly due to the lack of international tourists and, and students and working holidaymakers, the suburbs and the regions are booming uh, as people work from home and tend to have uh, five meals a day. That's including you know, their morning coffees and afternoon coffees and teas and, and lunch and dinner. Uh, they're eating five times a day out instead of three times a day. So this is, you know, has definitely uh, accelerated the revenue. So we certainly in the hospitality industry have a good restarting point after the pandemic, uh, but for the three main challenges in the industry. Well, I, I certainly can anecdotally from local experience, certainly endorse what you say about local area businesses, certainly where we are on the Gold Coast um, of, uh, of, of Queensland in Australia. Um, but uh, that's interesting to see in 20%, that's massive. Well, hang on, 25% growth. My goodness, as you say, menu prices of a factor in that, and we will touch on that later. So um, uh, that, that's one. That's the first surprise I've had. Um, sure, there are more coming. So, what do you see as the trends looking forwards, Wes? Hospitech and automation. So, uh, going into the future, and, and one of the the three key challenges, which I'll touch on a bit later, um, has led many restaurants to embrace more technology. Uh, in fact, uh, many say that through COVID. Uh, through that two plus year time period that we went through 10 years of technological advancement. And I would say that's uh, for the most part true uh, as businesses attempted to rein in processes uh, that had cost them a lot of margin pre-COVID. Uh, they certainly are looking at ways or have already embraced ways to remove that, that cost or to reduce that cost to increase their margin uh, as uh, prices are up, but uh, wage costs and supply chain issues have certainly kept that bottom line around the same percentage. Yeah, look, I think in every industry you look at, there's been massive changes. It's a matter of adapting. And the top 10, 10 or 20% of, uh, of people out there, the, the, uh, the business owners, I think, are adjusting well and preparing for it. I think uh, many, many others 
are in the process of withering on the vine, unfortunately. So it's a really huge wake-up call for so many people to rely on their livelihoods, their businesses, and so forth um, on 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 any business, particularly in the hospitality area, which has been badly affected for those reasons you mentioned. So um, I suppose from that point of view, um, I'm interested in the tech side. You're well-versed, of course, with the situation in Australia, New Zealand, and in the States. How do you see the comparison between the two regions from the point of view of take-up of tech and automation particularly? Oh, look, uh, when you look at APAC in general and, and Asia, uh, Asia tends to be the leader of, of take-up of automation, uh, and certainly it is coming into uh, the U.S. and the Australian and New Zealand market. Uh, a lot of back-of-house uh, uh, technology as far as automation has been with us for some time, uh, but we're also beginning to see some front-of-house automation. Uh, you will have certainly noticed uh, in the news uh, the uh, robots that are coming out and bringing uh, plates out to tables. Ultimately, what many hospitality businesses are embracing is a bit of a hybrid. Uh, they're having you know, those robots come out to a central collection center where the servers can then grab those plates and return the empties uh, to those robots that then go back into the kitchen. If you can imagine saving a certain number of steps uh, to and from tables all the way back to the kitchen, this can save many, many work hours uh, and ensure that uh, the workforce that is available is actually customer-focused uh, and driving up that revenue. It's fascinating. It couldn't come at a better time, could it, with regard particularly Australia and our shortage of, uh, of visitors and so forth. So um, from the point of view of looking at the industry, what, what would you say the three biggest challenges that they face? At the moment, uh, it's workforce, which is which is by far the number one uh, in hospitality. So in restaurant, cafe, catering, clubs, pubs, uh, hotels, there is a nearly 100,000 workforce shortage. And this shortage last October was just about 85,000. So it's actually gotten worse. Uh, so businesses, as they grow revenue uh, post-COVID, they're in, in desperate need of more workforce. However, that workforce has not returned to Australia and the individuals who left the industry during COVID for more stable industries have not returned. So, you know, it's a, it is a double whammy uh, situation where those businesses are about to go into the silly season, spring and summer, still desperate for workforce. Uh, next is the uh, supply chain and cost of doing business. That certainly is a major contributing factor to you know, the uh, hospitality margin is being able to control those costs. And with the La Nina being announced again for a third year in Australia, we do expect that there will be some commodity price, some, some produce issues uh, in train in the, in the very near future. And it will be about uh, menu replacement and ensuring that, um, that businesses are are paying attention to what's going into their, uh, the ingredients going into their menu items uh, to ensure that they're not uh, losing money on any particular item. And finally, and this is a bit of a sleeper, is rent. Now, for many businesses, they had their rents abated or they had their rents waived during COVID, but COVID is over. Many uh, landlords are now looking to collect that back rent uh, and, and relentlessly looking to collect it. At the same time, we've seen one of the highest CPIs in the history of Australia, 
And many leases, especially ground floor leases, are set on CPI plus one, two, three percent, which historically has been a good increase every year. It meant that businesses really didn't have to face more than one, two or three percent increases in their rents every year. The problem is when you have CPI that's you know six percent and you have a six plus one, six plus two, six plus three when we also had one of the highest minimum award rate increases for the hospitality industry, which has just occurred, those businesses are facing a 10 plus percent increase just in the award rate and their rents. In some cases, as high as 15%. It's very difficult to increase your menu prices for just two items. And so many businesses are actually, they face those um, with just a different invoice. So in one month, they have, they're paying X amount of rent per week or per month. And then all of a sudden, because it's a standard term in their lease, they're just getting a, a lease invoice for a higher amount and sometimes not remembering that that's a trigger inside their lease. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a sleeper. I'm conscious of rent reviews, et cetera, and CPI, but it didn't strike me that with CPI going up, the, the implications of that are, are absolutely massive in an industry that's under enormous cost and profit pressure anyway. Wow. All right. Well, we'd like to learn a bit more about that one without any doubt. So I suppose looking at what we've discussed so far, there's a, a conundrum for anyone in the hospitality industry. Uh, I mean, how do you think they can survive and thrive moving forward, uh, bearing in mind these factors, particularly the workforce, but uh, other elements as well? Wes? Well, it's about working smarter and realising that the tr traditional seven days a week, three meal periods, or six days a week, three meal periods. That is a pre-COVID or pre-pandemic way of thinking. It's very important that for your customers, for your staff, for your own sanity and your own profitability, that you look at your shifts uh, and times of day and, time, and days you're open and actually make a plan that may mean that you're only open four and a half days a week or five days a week, but that's okay because most of the time you actually end up being more profitable by doing that. And so it's, it's about not being afraid to figure out what works best, works best for your business and understanding that your consumers are not going to leave you if you used to be open six and a half or, or five and a half days a week and you've changed to five and a half or four and a half. It will actually just create more of a demand because people will want to come to your business. Also, with such a workforce shortage, it's okay to have fixed price menus. It's okay to have less menu items. Uh, it's also okay to be seasonal and to structure your menu so that you know, you're focusing on the produce that's available in abundance rather than you know, the produce that you traditionally have. Uh, and it's, you know, it's okay to change your portion sizes. It's okay to modify your business as things change. Your consumers will understand you know, the, the inflation is certainly a, a major factor that consumers are facing uh, and they will, are making you know, decisions on, on what they buy when they go to their favorite restaurant. They certainly are still attending their favorite restaurants, as you can see from the increase in revenue overall, a billion a month, uh, but they're definitely being more mindful about what they purchase. Uh, and it, it is very important for you to embrace change uh, because without change, your business will be stuck in the past. Yeah, look, it's fascinating when you when you say that the number of balls you have to have in the air, and the and and I suppose the um, uh, the objectiveness you need as an owner 
to actually look at balancing that situation because there are all those factors there that, as you mentioned, you can adjust. Um, it's recognizing the fact that it is okay, as you say, we've all got used to it. Um, therefore, the business owner has to take advantage of that, and that's not being unreasonable. Everyone's in business. No, I think that's uh, that, that's very pertinent. So um, if we look across, of course, we specialize here at Franchise simply on the, the franchise side, but not exclusively. And um, what would you say that, you know, today a an ambitious owner would need to do um, b- before they really consider moving into the franchise sector with a hospitality business? Well, what I would say, and I've given this advice many times before, is you need to prove your concept. Uh, and proving that concept is not just having a lot of customers at one location on one street in one suburb. Uh, and it's also uh, not replicating your business in similar suburbs with similar customers uh, down the road. What's important is proving up your business, usually with three businesses, with three concepts uh, in three areas that have different uh, demographics, different traffic patterns, different flow, uh, and in different parts of, of town or in different parts of the area where you are, so that you can ensure that uh, your concept will appeal to a wider audience so that it can be recreated uh, in many different areas by your franchisees and allow them to succeed having you having proven up the concept in more than just one suburb. Yes, I take your point. So it's a matter of acknowledging it's horses for courses. And as you say, verifying your model in those different areas is important. I suppose that comes back to depending on the ambition, the scale that someone wants to grow to. But uh, if you've got nationwide ambitions and objectives, then yes, indeed, you need to check those those variations to make sure you're on top of it. And we, we've all seen a lot of businesses fall very foul when they are not conscious of the demographics. I mean, when you look at the, the host of businesses that have come here from the States and from the UK, I mean, Krispy Kreme went down, went broke twice, and we saw the struggles um, with a number of businesses that haven't really managed to survive. I, I know from living in Western Australia in the 70s, their initial stores there were subsidized heavily for a number of years before they broke even. So it's not a walk in the park. And um, people forget whether you're moving interstate in the US or whether it's in Australia or around Europe, the differences in local areas, despite the language being the same and superficially looking similar, you need to do more research uh, because it's quite startling, the difference in attitudes and so forth. So no, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So um, the thing you mentioned early on, which I think is certainly for me one of the biggest points, is your mention there about you know technology and automation and so forth. Uh, it's a relatively new area for most people, and I think people in hospitality, yeah, they they're into tech a bit, you know, with their online ordering, with their shopping carts, and a few things like that uh, at least, and maybe with some decent websites. But when we come to the deeper levels of it. It's really pretty much a foreign language. So how can someone in the hospitality industry really really embrace that technology in order to take advantage of the market and avoid the sorts of uh, dilemmas that are facing many people in the next year or two? Oh, well, look, it, it starts at the front of your business. Uh, many businesses 
you know, used to take phone reservations and now you know it, it is almost second nature and that you'll have a you know, table management and booking software like open table or like you know many other providers um, and utilizing that and utilizing the functionality uh, of your table management and uh, booking software and then moving on into your business itself and ensuring that you know your POS integrates with your booking software or you know, <laughs> that you're ordering. So there's there are certainly uh, companies out there like Dashi that um, that you know, allow you to have your entire tech stack really on one screen. So you have you know, many things coming together. It's really about embracing that com combination of information so that you can ensure that all of the available data points that are in your business, uh, both front of house and back of house are coming together uh, so that you can make better decisions. It's really important. Uh, I like to call it small data when it comes to your individual restaurant, uh, because the, you know, what's happening you know, a kilometer, 10 kilometers, a hundred, a thousand kilometers away in terms of how many people are eating smashed avo has nothing to do with what's going on in your business. So being able to collect the small data uh, from your business instead of big data, the small data so that you can determine, hey, on Tuesdays, we sell twice as much Smashed Avo as we do on Thursdays and making sure that you get your Smashed Avo you know, delivery on Monday so that you're ready for Tuesday. And so using that kind of, of data and also knowing your, you know, your customer trends knowing how much your customers spend, when they come in. Um, you know, it, th that kind of data is very unique to your business and it's important to embrace that kind of data. You can't just rely on your memory. Oh, well, I know these regulars. Uh, in many, you know, many cases, you only know 25% you know, or 50% of the customers that come into your business. And so it's important that you're, you, know, you are ensuring that you have data on what your customers are doing so that you can ensure them better experience. You know, there's lots and lots of technology around marketing. There's lots of technology around ordering uh, and ensuring that you're getting the best possible prices. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of you know, technology around rostering and ensuring that you're, you know, you're paying the correct wage and, and you know, following all of the IR laws. So really, almost every area of your business and, you know, and your accounting and your back of house can be handled through the use of technology. You know, gone are the days of, of uh, keying things into a, a, you know, a ledger or even an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, most things are done in the cloud now. And so it's, you know, it's most of the technologies that are available today speak to each other uh, and allow you almost to run your business from a PC or a Mac or iPad. Yes, and that's intimidating for most people, I think. The reality is, and I see it with businesses of various shapes and sizes, sometimes it's quite surprising, but... The challenge is we're talking there, you rolled it off the cuff, a whole number of areas and different 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 apps and so forth. Um, it's finding where do you go to find somebody that's got the experience and the, the understanding, the knowledge to be able to actually help you? Because you say, help, I, need, I know I need to do something, but what do I do? And which of the apps? There's so many out there. Um, what I would say is if, if you're struggling, is to start with your industry association. Uh, in the hospitality industry, start there. Uh, they have a lot of resources and information around you know, your uh, around your type of business, and they can certainly point you in the right direction. 
but ultimately, it, it's about going with you know the stable companies that have been around for a while that are going to be around in the future. Um, you know, I, I will once again plug OpenTable. It's uh, been around for 24 years, and it's a great uh, you know, table management and booking software, and certainly integrates with lots of, of POSs and, and you know, has lots of, of marketing plugins and opportunities. But there are many providers of, of lots and lots. You know, that there's certainly some great IR and great ordering and great um, takeaway delivery apps out there and solutions that uh, you know, certainly should be embraced. But don't be afraid. You know, tackle it one uh, challenge at a time. Start with one and make sure it integrates with many others, and then then next and then next and then next. And before you know it. You know, your business will be in the cloud. Your business will be much more technological. And, and you'll find you, you might not even remember uh, your, you know, the phone number of your business because no one's ringing it. Right. I, I'm wondering how much, how good you are at reading the crystal ball, actually, Wes, because you talk about, um, you know, prices increasing and so forth and people taking that, um, accepting it. Where do you think the ceiling lies in the marketplace? I mean, eventually it's, it's willing seller, willing buyer, but where do you think the ceiling lies? How far is there to go in price rises in the hospitality area before there's pushback? Well, I would say that there's no ceiling, but I'm, I'm sure that people started screaming immediately when I said that. <laughs> but you know, uh, I, a cup of coffee was five cents you know, at some point in the, in the past history in Australia, you know, and now it's $5. Well, that's a pretty big increase percentage-wise in a cup of coffee. Now, that means that 100 years from now, coffee will be some exponential percentage of today. And so really, it's about understanding that there's periods of time. So I would say in the decade post-COVID for coffee, it was $4. In the decade post-COVID for a steak, it was about $28. Those times are gone. And they're not going to come back. So, you know, there's not going to be this magical prices are now back to pre-COVID levels. They're going to stay where they are because everything has been reset to that level. And what I would say is that the hospitality industry will likely see an additional 10 to 20% increase in menu prices in the next 12 months before it stabilizes. And we then see those typical 3 to 5% increases uh, per year that uh, we saw overall in a menu pre-COVID. But I think uh, certainly that reset was needed. Uh, the hospitality industry in that same decade had gone from you know, a double-digit profit margin uh, on average to you know, just under 5%, and it would have gone to zero, but for, for you know, the price increases we've seen over the past couple of years. So you know, certainly don't be mad at uh, you know, your favorite hospitality businesses because they've had to increase the prices and certainly don't tell them that you're going to go to their competitors because their competitors are also going to raise their prices and you're going to be disappointed. So, you know, it, it is increased menu prices is, is a relentless thing that happens, you know, in the normal course of moving forward. And, you know, it's about making sure as a business that you're delivering the same great uh, quality and great service that you delivered you know, at previous prices. Don't scrimp. Don't try to, you know, to uh, pull the wool over your customer's eyes. 
they will notice and they will leave your, your business. So I try to give them uh, you know, as best an experience of the highest quality product as you can, and they'll stay your customer. Thanks. So keep on top of those incremental increases. You know, a lot of people are either perhaps a younger profile of people in business these days in some ways. I may may not, I stand to be corrected there. But whether you're, you're young and going into business or you're young in business, which means you may have just gone into business, but you may be in your 40s, 50s or 60s, if you haven't lived through an experience high inflation before, which we have to go back in decades to see, like in the 80s, for example, when it was really significant, in the 70s when it was the first sort of shock. Um, if you haven't experienced that, you don't understand the phenomenon. I think what Wes is saying here really is it's here to stay. So you've just got to change your mindset, accept it, grin, bear with it, and push on and uh, and be even smarter. <laughs> yeah. um, we also forget that um, you know, in 2012 – or 2011-12, uh, when the global financial crisis was coming to an end, my Australian savings account was paying me 7%, and mortgage rates were you know, 7 8 9%. It's not, it, it seems like an odd thing because they've been zero for so long, and so many people have entered the housing market at you know, nearly 0% interest rates or very, very low interest rates. But if, you know, it would not be unheard of for us to be in a situation where we are back to that five, six, seven, eight, nine percent interest. And, you know, so be sure that you're firming up your business. Don't be afraid of price increases and certainly uh, don't be afraid of technology. No. Uh, well, that, that's, it's been interesting. Is there anything you'd like to add that I perhaps haven't covered in our conversation so far? So far? No, Brian, I think we have been very comprehensive. Well, thank you. Well, I have to thank you and, and thank you, everyone. I hope I hope our conversations made a difference to you and your business and your plans moving into the future. So um, look forward to speaking to you again when we have our next Franchise Simply Radio Show podcast. Wes, thanks very much again. It's been lovely to chat and thank you for letting us drill down into your depth of knowledge. It's uh, really, really great. Now, if anyone wants to contact you or get a bit more information and knowledge, um, could you tell us what we they better contact you? Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I'm 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 one of those people that's quite transparent, so I'm I'm happy for you know anyone to email. You can just contact Brian, uh, which is, is uh, his contact details are available uh, as part of the podcast, and he will get your messages to me. Perfect. Uh, happy to do that. Okay, well, so thank you very much indeed. Lovely to chat. I think somehow we're going to chat again sometime in the not-too-distant future in this moving landscape that we've got. So thanks very much again for your time. And uh, cheer, everyone. We'll leave it with you and speak to you again soon. Thanks, Brian.